1: In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of 1 John, chapter 3.
0: But sin was not settled in the lives of these men. It was an incident in their lives, totally contrary to their normal lives, totally contrary to their normal habits. When they sinned, they admitted it, repented of it, and ask God to forgive them. The unsaved person, even if he professes to be a Christian but is is a counterfeit, lives a life of habitual sin, especially the sin of unbelief. It is the normal thing in his life. In other words, it's characteristic of him. not an incident, it's characteristic. Ephesians talks about this. Ephesians chapter 2, first three verses. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses of sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our behavior, the word conversation in those days meant, you know, is what we use the term behavior. In times past in the lusts of your flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. See, the unbeliever has no divine resources to drop on. His profession of faith is not real. This is the distinction that is in view here in the first 10 verses of this chapter. A true believer does not live in a habitual sin. He may commit sin, an occasional wrong act, but he will not practice sin. That is means making a habit of it. The difference is that a true Christian knows God. A counterfeit Christian may talk about God and get involved in religious activities, but he does not really know God. A true Christian lives a life of obedience. He does not practice sin. And Christ appeared in order to take away all our sins. Now, biblical definitions of sin, boy, this is a big subject. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin, Romans tells us. The thought of foolishness is sin. Boy, am I guilty. In a lot of ways, actually. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin, James 4. All unrighteousness is sin, First John 5. But here, John defines sin simply as lawlessness. The emphasis not on sins, plural, but on sin, singular. Sins are fruit. Sin is the root. Different use of the term, if you will. The, the 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 singular, and this is one of those, this is a synecdoche, where the singular is the general for the whole category. God's love does not mean he does, has no rules or regulations for his family. That's not the law. It's a different issue altogether here. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. 1 John 2, that was last time. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things which are pleasing in His sight. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. And he's going to hit that in our fifth chapter when we get to it. God's children are not in bondage to the Old Testament law, for Christ has made us free and has given us liberty. Sin is basically a matter of the will. For us to assert our will against God's will is rebellion, and rebellion is the root of sin. The very essence of sin is lawlessness. The whole work of the cross is denied when a professed Christian practices deliberate sin. This is one reason why Paul calls such people the enemies of the cross of Christ, Philippians 3. Ooh. Little children, there's a technia term, that that, that, term of endearment. Let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now we've got a little interesting problem here. The word destroy may be a little misleading. Destroy does not mean annihilate. Satan is certainly still at work today. Destroy here means to render inoperative, to rob of power. A little different tone, but it's important. Jesus compares this world to a palace that contains many valuable goods. A strong man is guarding the place. That's his idioms in Luke 11. Every time a lost sinner is won to Christ, more of Satan's spoils are taken from him, in effect. is the idiom. Christ appeared in order to destroy the works of the devil. If a man knows God, he will obey God. If he belongs to the devil, he will obey the devil. John accepts the reality of a personal devil here. Many different names are used in Scripture. Satan, of course, means adversary. Devil means accuser. abad Polyon means destroyer. Prince of this world. Dragon, the red dragon, Revelation 12, etc. What's his chief activity? To oppose Christ and God's people. Satan is not eternal. Satan is a rebel. Christ is the obedient Son of God even to the death of the cross. Christ is God but was willing to become a servant. Satan was a servant who wanted to become God. Christ was born of a woman so that you and I could be born again. He humbled himself so that we could be lifted up. He became a servant so that we could be made joint heirs with him. We have no capacity to imagine what that means. He suffered rejection so that we could become his friends. He denied himself so that we could freely receive all things. He gave Himself so that He could bless us in every way. Wow. Can't get over that. Okay. then the other reason we have a holy life is that the Holy Spirit lives in us. Wow. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. For he cannot sin because he is born of God. His seed remaineth in him. No one of born of God practices sin. He cannot practice sin because he is born of God. Why? Why? Because he has a new nature within him. It's that new nature that he's talking about here. A new nature cannot sin. John calls this new nature God's seed. A child of God is given a new nature, and that new nature does not and will not commit sin. The reason that the prodigal son could not stay in the pig pen was that he was not a pig. Okay? He was the son of the Father, and he belonged to the Father's house. If you are a child of God, you will want to be in the Father's house and you will long for it. Abide is one of John's favorite words. It is this abiding, communion, koinonia is the Greek term, that keeps us from deliberately disobeying God's Word. There's more in the death of Christ on the cross than simply our salvation from judgment. As wonderful as that is, through His death, Christ broke the power of of the sin principle in our lives. Romans 6 to 8, those chapters 6 through 8. Is this identification with Christ in his death and resurrection? Christ not only died for me, I died with Christ. Now I can yield myself to him and sin will not have dominion over me. And that's what we're talking about. There are three tenths of being saved have been saved, past tense, from the penalty of sin. That's positional, called justification. Ephesians 2 8 and 9 deals with that. You are being saved, present tense. That's from the power of sin, operationally, by the Holy Spirit, moment by moment, called sanctification, Romans 6. Shall be saved, that's future tense, from the presence of sin, called the redemption of our body. Wow. Well, we talked about that earlier. Okay. When a person receives Christ as a Savior, tremendous spiritual changes take place in him. He is given a new standing before God, being accepted as righteous in God's sight, this new standing is called justification. It will it never expires and is never lost. The new Christian is also given a new position. He's set apart for God's own purposes to live for His glory. This new position is called sanctification. That's what sanctify means, to be set apart. And as a way of changing from day to day, you should be growing. There should be some improvement. You have two natures in you then. You can't cast out flesh. It's still there. You have to know which one are you feeding the most? Oh, did you have to? Did you know you have a spiritual hygiene as well as a physical hygiene? Physical man needs cleansing, so does the inner man. That's, Remember the Christians' bar of soap when we talk about 1 John 1 9? Uh, Unconfessed sins are the first step in what the Bible calls backsliding. Sin is like a virus. Instead of fighting in its invasion, we yield to it. Carried away, enticed, baited, and hooked. Trapped, the end is death, of course. James 1 deals with that. The inner man also needs food and cleansing. The inner man does. He also needs exercise. That includes exercising, not defrauding the body of Christ with your spiritual gift. If you have a spiritual gift and aren't exercising it, you are defrauding the body. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteous is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So yielding to sin is the distinguishing mark of a child of the devil. They profess or claim one thing, but practice uh, another. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. We're going to see John 8, 44 referred to a number of times as we go proceed through this. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. False teachers in John's day taught that a Christian did not have to worry about sin because only the body sinned. And what the body did in no way affected the spirit. Weird ideas. Some of them went so far as to teach that sin is natural to the body because the body of sinful. The New Testament exposes the foolishness of such excuses for sin. The old nature is not the body. The body itself is neutral. It can be used either by the old sinful nature or by the new divine nature. How does a child of God go about overcoming the desire of the old sin nature? By beginning each day, yielding his body to God as a living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 is your keywords are, you, are your keywords? And uh, if you want to understand how to do that in practical terms, I encourage you to take a look at my wife's book called Be Ye Transformed. I wrote a whole book on Romans 12, 1 and 2. The practical uh, techniques to really do that. And she does. Thy word have I hidden my heart, the psalmist says, that I might not sin against thee. Scripture memory has a place in your spiritual hygiene. People say, Chuck, why do you use the King James? Well, for a number of reasons. Everyone has their problems. The King James are well-known, well-documented. But I do it for another reason everybody overlooks. When I do my memory work, I want to do it in in a version that's going to be around 20 years from now. These others come and go. I'm on the review committee for the International Standard Version Bible. And it's pretty I'm getting quite impressed with it. And we may start using that in many things. But I'm glad that my memory work for the last sixty years has been in the King James because it's still here. I'm glad I didn't get picked up on the RSV back then. Anyway, okay. If he does sin, he must instantly confess to God and claim forgiveness, but it's not necessary it is not necessary for him to sin. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. First Corinthians 10, 13. You ought to add that to your memory group. That's a great one. That's a great comfort, a great reminder. That's your escape clause when you're under pressures. The true Christian also loves other Christians. Oh boy, I knew that was a tough one here. These words are not written that you and I might check on other people. They were given so that we might examine ourselves. Oh, do I have the divine nature within me, or am I merely pretending to be a Christian? These are little self-test questions to think about. Do I cultivate this divine nature by daily Bible reading and prayer? Do you? Think about it. Has any unconfessed sin defiled my inner man? This is a question we should ask every morning. Am I willing to confess and forsake it? Oh, there's the rub. I mean, i got to quit. Oh. Do I allow my old nature to control my thoughts and desires, or does the divine nature rule me? That's the ultimate issue, isn't it? When temptation comes, do I play with it, or do I flee from it? The world, the flesh, and the devil... The world, your response is faith. The devil, you fight. You have authority. Your flesh, you flee. Faith, fight, flee. Different strategy for each of those challenges. Do I immediately yield to the divine nature within me? The life that is real is honest with God about these vital issues. We're going to explore four levels of relationship, murder, ooh, hatred, indifference, and Christian compassion. And we'll wrap this up. I'm reminded about Ruth Graham. Somebody asked her, apparently, that if in their married life, if there was ever an issue of adultery. She says, adultery? No. Murder? Yes. <laughs> okay. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. The unbeliever sins against the law. The believer sins against love. Let's think about that a minute. The unbeliever is sinning against the law, and he has the law within himself, we're told. doesn't have to be a Jew to sin against the law. Even a Gentile can, because it's in his heart. The believer sins against what? Love. Boy, that's wild. What held Jesus to that cross? It wasn't the nails. He, created the, he was crucified on a cross of wood, yet he made the heel in which it stood. He could have said, enough already, I'm out of here. What held him on that cross was his love for us. And our response to that should be to love him enough to clean up our act. Not as Cain, John tells us, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Read that envy. Murder is the lowest level, is the level on which Satan himself exists, according to John 8.44. Cain is also an example. He's not presented as an atheist, by the way. He's presented as a worshiper. Wow, think about that a minute. The children of the devil masquerade as true believers. They attend religious gatherings. They even bring offerings. These are not valid proofs that 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 person is born of God. It seems clear that God had given definite instructions concerning how he was to be worshipped. Cain decided to do his own way. That's what That was the significance of God covering them with coats of skins, to teach them that by the shedding of innocent blood they would be covered. There was a procedure instituted in Eden. Cain decided to do it his own way, providing his own works. Satan is always interested in turning people away from the revealed will of God. The real test of his love for the brethren here Cain failed he murdered his brother and then lied about it his envy turned to anger and centuries later pharisees did the same thing to jesus and jesus here too called them the children of the devil in john 8:44 so john says marvel not my brethren if the world hate you the world hates christ for the same reason Cain hated abel christ reveals the world's sin and its true nature then they must either repent or destroy the messenger Wow. Satan is the prince of this world and controls it through murder and lies. Like Cain, the people of the world try to cover up their true nature with religious life. Religion is man's attempt to cover himself. Man's attempt to find God. No. God deals with it from his side. In contrast to this, God is love, according to John 4.8, and truth, according to John, the Gospel of John 4, 14 and 1 John 5. We're going to get to those. Subsequently, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brother. And he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. To a Christian, hatred is the same as murder. And Matthew says the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. Whoso hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Lust is the same as adultery also, by the way. These equivalences are part of the Sermon on the Mount. Very disturbing stuff. Now, don't under, don't misunderstand this. We're not being told that murderers cannot be saved. Paul took a hand in the stoning of Stephen in Acts seven, and he admitted that his vote helped put innocent people to death in Acts twenty-six. Elsewhere, God's grace saved him. The issue is not whether one conti- the, the issue is whether one can continue to be a murderer. The answer is no. Hatred does the hater more damage than it does anyone else. It actually puts one into a spiritual and emotional prison. The reason you want to forgive people is to free yourself. Get out of bondage. The antidote, of course, is love. Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Failure to to do evil is not enough. Love involves doing them some good. Isaiah 1. And James said a lot about that too. Jesus didn't, didn't just talk about His love. He died to prove it. And He was not a martyr. He willingly laid down His life. Interesting dis, dis, uh, discernment there, isn't it? Self-preservation is the first law of physical life. Self-sacrifice is the first law of spiritual life. They're antithetical. Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? See, John turns from the brethren in verse 16 to the singular and specific his brother in verse 17. One of the things you want to know about the NIV, the Nearly Inspired Version, 3,000 places they change the singular to plural to avoid accountability. Here's an example of something where it's, he's shifting from brethren to his brother to make it more accountable, personal, active. Who is his brother? Well, Luke 10 the Samaritan, you know the story. Ignoring a need can be sin. Indifference to needs. One of the benefits of stewardship is the ability to meet the needs of others. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, talks cheap is what John is saying. A brother or sister be naked, James tells us, and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. Notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body? What doth it profit? That's where that expression comes from. Here people say, be warmed and filled. They're being facetious, of course. They want to they really want you to do something. Three wonderful blessings assurance, answered prayer, and abiding wraps up this book, this uh, chapter. Assurance. Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him of the truth. A Christian who practices love grows in his understanding of God's truth and enjoys a heart full of confidence before God. That's part of growth. You say you're not 100% grown yet. No surprise, none of us are. We're all growing, hopefully. Truth, when the word and the deed... I love that definition of truth. I got it from my wife. Definition of truth. When the word and the deed become one. Sounds like an Indian should be saying it over a campfire, doesn't it, somehow? When the word in the deep But uh, see the word did God's word became incarnate and dwelt among us. Wow. The ultimate truth, of course, is Jesus Christ, the Word of God, one of his one of his titles. For if our heart condemneth, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. At Bethany, Jesus knew Mary's heart and defended her in Luke ten. At Peter's denial, Jesus knew of his repentance and sent a special message to him in Mark 16. And Peter's confidence was essential on this very issue, of course, in Acts 3. Be careful that the devil not accuse you and rob you of your confidence. Your confidence is in a Savior. Never forget it. Answered prayer. Wow. Beloved, if our heart condemns not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in His sight. And every time I think of answered prayer, which of course we should be grateful for, I'm also reminded that we should also be grateful for our unanswered prayers. Whenever you go to a high school reunion, you can be reminded of all the prayers that you're grateful that He didn't. (laughs) Your love for the brethren proves that you are living in the will of God where He can answer your prayer. believer's relationship to the brethren cannot be divorced from his prayer life think about that a believer's relationship to the brethren cannot be divorced from his prayer life how easy it is to overlook that to let that be a victim to the when the urgent preempt the important if husbands and wives are not obeying god's word their prayers will be hindered the scripture tells us in a number of places And finally, abiding, John's favorite word. And this is commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Love is the fulfilling of God's law, obviously, in Romans 13 and elsewhere. And he that keepeth this commandment dwelleth in Him, and he in Him. And hereby we know that He abideth in us. How? By the Spirit which He hath given us. Now the Holy Spirit is here mentioned for the first time. It was introduced in 2.20, actually, initially, but here it's mentioned. And uh, we're going to find uh, he's abiding here, but he's going to be attesting in chapter 4, and he's going to be authenticating in chapter 5. So we're going to be hearing much more about him as we go forward. So in our next session, we're going to deal with false teachers. So does this epistle have relevance to us to today? You know, it's astonishing to me. Here we have this probably one of the most intimate of all the epistles, the family epistle as some people call it, and it's astonishing to realize how relevant it is for us today. So we're going to talk about false teachers very bluntly and candidly next time. So in preparation next time, read 1 John chapter 4. And let's stand for a closing word of prayer. For a while there, you didn't think we'd make it, did you? So I saw some of you engineers doing linear extrapolations and, and, and convinced me we weren't going to finish this chapter until a week from Wednesday. Yeah. Now we made it, sort of. Clumsily, perhaps, and obviously incompletely. Our whole goal is to stimulate you to do your own digging. But hopefully this will give you a springboard. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you loved us so much, even be, before we loved you. You went to such extremes on our behalf. Father, we do pray that you would reignite in each of us a new passion, a new hunger for your word, and that you would help each of us to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord. We pray, Father, that your purpose would be accomplished in each of us as we commit ourselves without any reservations whatsoever into your hands. In the name of Yeshua, our Lord, our Savior, our coming King.
1: Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the books of 1, 2, 3 John. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store or search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device.